14 through 28. Anybody? Awesome. And then who wants to read verses 29 through 50, uh, wait, 29 through 51? Anyone? Chapter 12, yeah. All right, thanks, Anna. 29 through 51. All right, Donna. Yes, sir. Israel. Now on the first day there shall be a holy convocation, and on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No work at all shall be done on them, except what must be eaten by every person, that alone may be done by you. You shall also keep the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I have brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall keep this day throughout your generations as a perpetual statute. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. Seven days there shall be no leaven found in your houses. For whoever eats what is leavened, that person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall not eat anything leavened. In all your places of habitation you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Bring out and take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood which is in the basin and touch some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and the two doorposts. And none of you shall go outside the doorway of his house until morning. And Yahweh will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and he will see the blood on the lintel and on the two doorsteps, and Yahweh will pass over the doorway and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. And you shall keep this event as a statute for you and your children forever. And it will be when you enter the land which Yahweh will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this new slavery. And it will be when your children say to you, What is the meaning of this new slavery to you? That you shall say, It is a Passover sacrifice to Yahweh, who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt, when he smote the Egyptians, but delivered our homes, and the people bowed low and worshipped. Then the sons of Israel went and did so. Just as Yahweh had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, and the firstborn of Pharaoh was sent on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in a dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. When Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where no, where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Go out, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord, as you have said, take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. 
So the people took their dough before it was given, and bowls being bounded and their clothes in their, on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. The Lord has given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked eleven cakes of dough that they had brought out of Egypt. There was not leaven, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout the generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the stature of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. You shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of his bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, then let all his males be circumcised. And he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land. But no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law of the native, the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought Great. So we're in our last and final plague of the ten plagues, and and uh, what? Just by way of review, what, what what was the purpose of the plagues? Or maybe a couple of main purposes of the plagues. What were what were a couple of those? Yeah, to reveal his name, to, to reveal the name of Yahweh, and all that entailed. What else? He's, very, he's the only God, and the, all, all the gods of the Egyptians worship. Yes, gods, yeah. absolutely. Great. And, and last Friday we looked at uh, uh, God is warning a Pharaoh for the last time through Moses. And uh, we also... Uh, were presented for the first time with the Passover and uh, the, the theology of the Passover. And uh, this theology revolved around uh, salvation, right? That uh, every Passover meal, they would be reminded of God rescuing them from Egypt and they would be learning uh, a theology of salvation. That salvation required sacrifice, as they sacrificed the lambs. Uh, salvation required atonement, as the Israelites would dip a bunch of hyssop and dip it in blood and, and, and paint it on the, the doorposts of their, of their doors. So every aspect, aspect of the Paso- Passover meal was to point to a different, um, a different uh, quality of God's salvation. And so in tonight's text, we're going to look at, as we finish chapter 12, we're going to continue to uh, understand the theology of the Passover meal 
and then we'll finally look at the actual event, actual event of the of the tenth plague. So with that said, in verse fourteen, um, notice in verse fourteen the importance of this day, the, the first day of the Passover, and remember what what what, what did they that day? Uh, what 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 day was that? Yes, it, it was the entire calendar changes because of the Passover. So they have a new calendar, and that first month commemorates the, the Exodus. Uh, but what was the actual day? Stop, you have to stop, you have to go downstairs, okay? Stop. The, let's see, what, what verse was that in? Yep, verse number six, verse six, right? So day 10, they, they take the lamb, and day 14 is when they slaughter it and take the blood and put it on the lintel of the house. The houses, and so this first day of the Passover is the fourteenth day of the first month, and you notice this is a very important day. In verse fourteen, it says, "This day will be a memorial to you," and then there's seven additional days of this feast of unleavened bread that's connected to the Passover. In verse fifteen, it says, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread," but it's on this first day, right there. Uh, you shall remove leaven from your houses. Whoever eats anything leaven from the first day until the seventh. So this first day is, is crucial. If you miss this first day, it's hard to make up for it for the, for the rest of the week. And this day, this first day was a, was a memorial. And a more memorial would help them remember from generation to generation what kind of people they were. That they were a people... That God saved. That they were all about salvation. And this, this old covenant exodus, this is the, the paradigm. This is the, 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 the foundation of the paradigm of God's uh, saving act of the cross in the New Testament. And so in that way, again, exodus is the cornerstone of theology. In the New Testament, the crucifixion is the ultimate exodus because it not... It, 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 it didn't merely deliver us from bondage to uh, some human king, but it delivered us from bondage to sin itself into new life in a future kingdom. Go to Luke 9, and I've probably shared this with you in the past, but you see this, uh, Jesus is uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration. And uh, verse 28, chapter 9, verse 28. Now it happened some eight days after these words that taking along Peter and John and James, he went up on the mountain to pray. And it happened that while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different and his clothing became white and gleaming. Oh, when, when else will Jesus look this way? Verse 29. 
When else will when, when else will he look this way? When he returns, right? The glorified Christ will return, and so we they get a preview of that. And behold, two men were talking with him, and they were and they were Moses and Elijah, who appearing in glory, they were speaking of his departure, which he was about to fulfill at Jerusalem. They're speaking of his what? His death and resurrection. Now, does anybody know the, the Greek word used for departure here? Verse 31. Does anybody want to look at their step Bible? And, and, and I'm not going to give this to you. Exodus. Yes. How do you know? Did, did it say? Yeah, it has a, uh, has a little note. Oh. So uh, you have the ESV? ESV. Okay, yeah. So the Greek word there is, is Exodus. They were speaking of his Exodus, right? Uh, this is the ultimate Exodus. Uh, this is an intentional word that Luke uses to show this connection between the Exodus in the Old Testament and the final fulfilled Exodus in Christ's death and resurrection. So going back to chapter 12 uh, of Exodus, verse 15, um, you have seven days. Uh, seven days is, uh, where else did we see seven days? Genesis 1 in creation. And so over and over throughout Scripture, you see we find uh, salvation connected with creation. So in the, in the ten plagues, the ten, why, why, why the number ten? Because it connected to the, the ten words of Genesis 1, God said, God said. Uh, they were creation, uh, creation kinds of signs and wonders, Right? Not only did the ten plagues reveal the name of Yahweh and show God's superiority over the pantheon of gods, they showed also that, that he's the creator, that the Savior is the creator, that the Redeemer is the maker of heaven and earth. And so over and over, uh, creation is tied to salvation. And it says in verse 15, uh, you shall... Seven days you shall eat uh, unleavened bread, but on the first day you shall remove leaven from your house. Leaven, what's another word for leaven? Yeast, right. That's what, and you use that to start. Do anybody ever make a, a, a bread before? So you need a starter dough, and, uh, that's, and, and that starter dough requires leaven. But the thing about yeast is that it's easy for it to... Uh, to, to get into other kind to, to kind of uh, get into other kind of bread, and so in order to ensure that uh, there was just no yeast in the house at all, and that the bread they would eat would be unleavened bread, they needed to they needed to kind of empty out their houses. This is a full spring uh, cleanup, and 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 this the purpose of this removal of leaven what was was to to was to show uh, with with great clarity, what this Passover was about—that uh, nobody would forget uh, what God did for them in the Passover—it would make this incredible statement uh, to the world what God did for Israel uh, in the Exodus. And so, what happens when you remove leaven from your house? You also do what? You start. You, you don't pur- purchase leaven. You don't purchase yeast for an entire week. And this, this dis- dis- disrupts a nation's entire economy. So the whole world would stand up and notice the seven days of 
no leaven, uh, no, no purchasing, uh, factories would stop, merchants would stop selling. And it was designed to show the nations of the world that if they wanted salvation, they needed to come and worship Israel's God. And this unleavened bread would be a, a unique food that would leave a lasting memory for everybody who participated in that. God wanted his people never to forget what he did in Egypt. Now, people everywhere normally eat what? We eat leavened bread. Why do we eat leavened bread instead of unleavened bread? <laughs> because it tastes a lot better. Uh, it's just more pleasant to eat. It's fulfilling. Uh, to, to be unable to eat normal bread is no small thing, right? Uh, for Israel, bread was a staple food like it is for many other cultures. Uh, do you, have, you ever, have you ever met somebody or is anybody here who, who, who can't eat gluten? Anyway, but you know people, can you eat gluten? My sister can. And, and she can't eat bread, right? Yeah. And, and I bet she misses eating bread. No, she doesn't <laughs> miss the effects. She's like, I Oh, okay. Well, well, a lot of people, uh, they, they really miss bread. If they can't eat gluten, they really miss that. And once in a while, you, there, there are bakeries that, that make really good gluten-free bread, and people go crazy over it. Um, uh, but it's just, most of the time, it doesn't taste as good as bread made with wheat. Uh, imagine eating sheets of crackers for a week when you're used to bread. Uh, that would really fix the memory of the Exodus into your mind. You know, my staple food as a, as a, as a having a Korean mother was rice. Uh, I, I ate rice all the time. I told you I, I tried to do an Atkins diet where I just ate protein all the time. And I lost a ton of weight. But after the time, I realized, you know what? I love rice too much. I will never do this again because I just love rice. Uh, you know, in Korea, you eat rice for breakfast. It's just, like the dinner is the same as breakfast. So breakfast, lunch, and dinner, everybody eats rice. Imagine for a week, a child, instead of eat, eating rice, has to eat rice crackers, right? Uh, what would the child say every meal for seven entire days? Why are we eating rice? Why are we not eating rice? Why are we eating these rice crackers? And every time that that, that Jewish child would ask their parents, why are we eating these crackers instead of bread? I, I don't like this. I want my bread. The parents would tell them why. This is to commemorate God saving us from Pharaoh, delivering us, redeeming us. Just imagine the kind of impression that it would make as a child growing up every time you celebrated this. This was a, a powerful powerful ceremony. And the penalty for that ceremony is what? What is, that, what is the, 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 the penalty? They'll be cut off if they don't follow. Yeah, they'll be cut off. Be cut off. Um, so this first day was very important. And, uh, and uh, when Jesus, he what, ate, he celebrated the Passover on that on, on the on the first day, right, uh, on the on a I guess a, a Friday or a Thursday night our time from sundown to sundown was was that first uh, first uh, Passover day, and he died on that first day. And so this first day is incredibly important. If you look at verse eighteen, uh, it's repeated. You shall keep the feast of the unleavened bread. In the first month, verse 18, you shall eat unleavened bread. 
Verse 19, seven days there shall be no leaven found in your houses, right? It's stated twice. It's drilling into the mind of the reader, the hearer, the participant, that absolutely no yeasted bread can be eaten for the seven full days of this Passover festival. Um, whether he's a sojourner or a native, he, uh, Moses keeps repeating it. Verse 20, you shall not eat anything leavened in all your places of habit, habitation. You shall eat unleavened bread. Uh, so uh, an incredibly, incredibly important um, um, uh, part of, the, of, of this ritual that would emblazon on their minds this uh, special um, uh, deliverance by God for Israel. Verse 21 through 28, now Moses discusses just how the Passover should be implemented, the kind of attitude, the kind of heart posture Israel should have in partaking of the uh, Passover. In verse 21, uh, Moses uh, calls out to the elders of Israel, and the elders we know are now in charge of the implementation, and they take for themselves lambs, that, was on, that would be on the 10th day, and then they would slaughter the Passover lamb on the first day of Passover, which would be the 14th day of the month. So for four days, the lambs would be with the families, with the kids, and they would have a relationship, and the kids would be really sad, and then the kids would watch this poor lamb being slaughtered. This was, this, it would be a visceral, uh, deep kind of uh, uh, emotional impression being made on the entire family, especially the children. Um, verse 21, you shall take, uh, verse 22, this is kind of the foundational, the, 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 the focus of the Passover is, is, is verse 22, where they're required to take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood in the basin, uh, touch some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and the, the two doorposts, and none of you shall go outside the doorway of his house until morning. Again, you see, do you see the, this language of uh, evening and morning? Look at verse 18. You, on the 14th day of at evening, you shall, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. And, and then you see uh, verse 22, uh, you do this and you don't go outside until morning. This is, lang again, language of, the, of creation, like evening and morning, evening and morning. So, again, uh, salvation and creation are, are intertwined with one another. God is uh, not simply the Redeemer, he's the Creator. And uh, this is why creation is so important. This is why Genesis 1 is so important. Genesis 1 is important and the days of creation are important because uh, salvation is important. To say uh, creation and, and, and whether it was one day or one day e equal to a million years, to say that's just an incidental detail that Christians make a fuss over, that's just simply not true. To say creation is unimportant, to say Genesis one, to say Genesis one is unimportant, is to say John three sixteen isn't important. Um, so they're they're really they they really go hand in hand. Uh, verse twenty three, uh, Yahweh will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and he will see the blood of the lintel on the two doorposts, and Yahweh will pass over the doorway and will not allow the destroyer to come into your house to smite you. So verse twenty three. On the night of the Passover, uh, this is where God will display his justice for Egyptian, the Egyptian sin and Pharaoh's uh, proud heart. 
And it's the night where God's grace will also be manifested for his people. His uh, people who are just as unfaithful, who are just as uh, stubborn and, and hard-hearted. Uh, they will, uh, God will pass over them in judgment. Why? Because the, 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 the Israelites are better than the Egyptians? No. Um, because they're more worthy than the Egyptians? No. Because they, because they, 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 they somehow earned his favor? No. It's all because of God's grace. All because of God's grace. And their faith in God's grace is what will save them. Look at 24. And you shall keep this event as a statute for you and your children forever. There's a, there's a biblical emphasis from, from the very beginning of the books of the Bible about the importance of parents teaching their children, um, teaching their children doctrine and, and theology and the gospel. And uh, as much as parents like to talk about uh, the importance of schooling, whether they go to send your parents to public school or private school or Christian school or homeschooling. Um, more important is the where you go to church, uh, what kind of church you join, because the church is where uh, the parents will be equipped. And if the parents will be equipped, they'll be, they'll be able to teach their children. And so um, those of you, uh, one day if the Lord gives you children, this is a, a key responsibility. Every day you need to be teaching your children the Bible and not uh, depending on uh, the church to disciple your children. Over and over in Scripture, in the Old and the New Testament, the responsibility of, of teaching children the Bible falls on the parents. It falls on the parents. And so, and you see that here. The, uh, uh, Moses explicitly mentions you keep this statute for you and your children forever. Um, and what kind of what kind of uh, what kind of uh, uh, attitude are they supposed to have? What type? What 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 will their children be taught? Well, it will be when you enter the land which Yahweh will give you, verse twenty-five, as He has promised. You shall keep this new slavery. I love how the 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 Legacy Standard Version translates this, verse twenty-five. How does the the ESV uh, translate it, hon? Huh? 25. Yeah, you shall keep this service. Okay. And so uh, it takes a more generic, uh, 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 generic uh, approach to it. But according to the LSB translators, they, they felt that uh, slavery was a better, that uh, the, the context demanded this nuance. Because that word can be, mean service, but sometimes it can be slavery. And so in the context of Exodus, the LSB translator felt that it was, it was speaking of, of, the word, of the concept of slavery from uh, no longer slaves to Pharaoh. Because we're the, and it makes a lot of sense, because were the Israelites uh, under Pharaoh, were they servants or were they slaves? They're slaves. And so this is so uh, the, the 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 corresponding counterpart is from slavery to Pharaoh to slavery to Yahweh, and so uh, this is a new slavery, not the old slavery under Pharaoh. Uh, they shall keep this new slavery under Yahweh, and so that's the kind of attitude they are to have uh, in this uh, 
in, in, the, in this Passover celebration. Verse 26, And when it will be when your children say to you, What is the meaning of this, of this new slavery to you? And that you shall say, It is a Passover sacrifice to Yahweh, who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians, but delivered our homes. Um, this is the meaning of of this of this of this ritual that God spared us. He saved us while He judged uh, the Egyptians. See this this theology of the Passover. Uh, if Israel was properly instructed, when Jesus came uh, thousands of years later, Israel should have been ready. They should have been ready for the true Passover, the Passover lamb. But what happened? The, pass, the theology of the Passover uh, was forgotten, and instead, this theology of the Passover turned into a mere ritual, uh, just a, a meal. Uh, they, 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 they drank wine, they, had, uh, they ate bitter herbs, they ate the bread, but there was no understanding, there was no understanding of the theology of the Passover uh, to the degree that there, when, the, when the fulfillment, the, the Lamb of God uh, came on Passover, uh, nobody saw that. Nobody saw the connection. Then um, here was Jesus, their Passover Lamb, uh, dying for them. And, uh, and instead of trusting him, trusting in his blood, they, they spurned him and rejected him. And so uh, you see how you see how the Passover, uh, God's intention of the Passover was to prepare them for the Messiah. You see that the Passover ultimately was, the, and the theology behind the Passover was to prepare them for the fulfillment of the Passover of the Lamb, when Jesus, the the Messiah, would come and, and die on their behalf. He would be the final sacrifice. He would be the final atonement. And so this Passover is, is, is literally preparing for Christ. This is preparing for Christ. You see how the Exodus is the foundation of theology for Scripture um, and how it's, it's Christ-centered, directly connected to Christ. Who is Israel's God? He, he passed over Israel when he smote the Egyptians. When he struck the Egyptians, he passed over Israel. In the exercise of God's justice, Yahweh was gracious and merciful. And so the, the attitude they were to have was a heart of, of this new kind of slavery. And the attitude they were, were to have was uh, an attitude of worship, a heart of worship. Verse 27, and the people bowed low and worshipped. Um, and so every time we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are to... Uh, come and, and, and practice and partake of the elements um, with this heart of what? Slavery to Christ. He's our Lord and our Master. And a heart of worship. And, uh, and so the same heart qualities of the Passover for Israel are, are demanded, are, ex are expected of God's people in the church in this new covenant era. Well, uh, we move to verse 29. And... Uh, what do you see in verse twenty nine that's that's been that's uh, considerably different uh, than the the previous plagues? 
We talked about this uh, last Friday. So I'm just testing your memory and see if you were listening or you were eating your hot pot, Peter. <laughs> what's, what's different about verse 29? What's notice, noticeably different? The, the way it happens. The process of the plague. Okay, okay. But before, let's see, let's go to plague number. Look at, okay, look at, uh, look at how the plague is initiated in, in chapter 10, verse 21. What's the difference? Yeah, right? Moses in the ninth place says, stretch out your hand toward the sky. Um, go to, uh, go to uh, chapter 9, verse 8. In the sixth plate. I mean, they're, they're all there, but this, these, are, these are really obvious. Y- uh, Yahweh said to Moses, take for yourself handfuls of soot from a kiln and, and let Moses toss it toward the sky in the sight of uh, in the sight of, of Pharaoh. Look at the third plague, verse 16, chapter 8. Uh, Yahweh said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth. So uh, in, every, in every plague until the tenth plague, it's Moses and, yes, God is, God is the one who is ultimately bringing about the tenth plague, but the, the, God uses Moses and Aaron as instruments of justice versus this 10th plague in chapter 12, 40, 40, uh, verse 29, where it's Yahweh himself uh, 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 meeting out his power directly. He said, you, know, you want to know who I am? I'm going to really show you who I am by, by, by doing this action directly. No intermediator, intermediary. And it says in verse 29 that he struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. And then it says this, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne. And so how, uh, how is Yahweh attacking uh, Pharaoh? How is he attacking Pharaoh? By attacking his firstborn. He's not attacking him, but how is he attacking Pharaoh? His son. Yeah, and his son is who? What? Yeah, he's the he, the son is the heir. the The son is the is the next Pharaoh. And so, what God is doing is that he's he's attacking the throne. He's he's destroying the office. He's destroying the the, the he's destroying the power and authority. Of the office of Pharaoh. And then it, uh, verse 29 says, From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, from the most powerful to the weakest. This is a, a war on the entire nation of Egypt. The entire social structure of this nation is built on the on the firstborn sons. I don't know, in, in Korea, uh, the firstborn, the firstborn son is 
is like the second father. When the father dies, the firstborn takes responsibility over the family. He's like the he's like the uh, uh, the the substitute father. Like my my mother's uh, uh, oldest brother, he's the, basically the patriarch of the family. That everybody listens to him, and so the 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 the, the, the entire entire society of Korea uh, is really depends a lot on the firstborn, on the firstborn son. And so can you imagine if all the firstborn are killed? I mean, it throws this, this sort of society in chaos, in total disarray. I mean, this is, this is, God is declaring war on Egypt. Now, the pharaoh of this, of, of, of this tenth plague is Amenhotep II, and he had a son who was Thutmose IV. And if you do a little Google search on Thutmose IV, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I, I read one summary of him on some just random Wikipedia article. And, doesn't, and it, says, uh, it says that he wasn't the crown prince, that he wasn't the oldest one. And, if, and, and what's notable about uh, Thutmose IV, and I mentioned this earlier, uh, that if you just Google you know, tonight, if you want to go home and read about it, is that he had a dream where the Finks told him that he would be the king. And he made this public. Now, this is kind of redundant because if you were truly the king, the heir apparent, you, what, you wouldn't need a dream of the things telling you would be, you would be the king unless you weren't the firstborn, unless you were the secondborn and you needed to justify the legitimacy of your authority and your reign and your rule. And so and you see it all here in Exodus. So God in verse 29 is returning uh, uh, evil for evil. Uh, Israel, I mean, uh, Egypt and Pharaoh threw God's firstborn into the Nile and now God returns the favor. This is, a, this is judgment on an entire society for their worship of these pagan gods that led them to treat is the Israelites so horribly. Um, look at verse, four, verse 30. This is a deja vu moment. And Pharaoh arose in the, in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt. And if you've been paying attention, this should uh, trigger your memory uh, back to Exodus 3 and 4 when Israel was crying out in their suffering and in their pain over the subjection and the harsh oppression of Pharaoh. And so this should trigger that memory. And now the table has turned, hasn't it? Now it's the Egyptians and the, the Pharaoh that is uh, crying out in, in this uh, intense uh, agony. Now, at first it was Pharaoh who arose in the night. And, and he arose in the night because he was told that at midnight this would happen. And so he's expecting it. And so right at midnight, he checks. And sure enough, his firstborn son uh, is dead. And then there's a great cry in, in Pharaoh's palace. And then those close to Pharaoh would hear that cry. And they would wake up. And they would check on their firstborn. And, and there would be a great cry. And then their neighbors would do that. Until uh, all of Egypt would, would wake up to find their firstborn children dead. And, and back then... Uh, you know, uh, families lived together. The firstborn and his family, uh, 
They live with mom and dad. They all live together. And so from house to house, everybody, every house, uh, it says there was no home where there was not someone dead. No home. Not a single, not, not one home where there was not someone dead. There's a comprehensive nature. And just, just, uh, just think about it. Uh, at the end of Genesis, uh, Egypt was being blessed because of Joseph. And now it said, how, remember how Exodus 1 began? Look at Exodus 1. Remember how that began? It said, uh, verse 8, Now a new king arose over Egypt. And what? who didn't he know? Who did not know Joseph. He didn't know Joseph, right? He didn't know Joseph, and and uh, it kind of kind of for it's a kind of an ominous statement, isn't it? It's this ominous statement that something bad is about to happen because this new king doesn't know Joseph, who was the source of blessing. He was the conduit of blessing from God to Egypt, and so it's kind of a if you're watching a movie, um, and. and the, the scene might be in the, in the opening scenes of the movie, somebody talking to the king. Hey, remember Joseph? And the king saying, jo- who's jo- who? Joseph? Who's Joseph? And that would tell you what? Bad things are, are to come. And so now um, there's this role reversal. What, what Egypt wanted Israel to become. Remember, Pharaoh wanted to decimate uh, Israel. He wanted to crush Israel. He wanted to humiliate them. Uh, and now... Egypt has become what they what Pharaoh wanted in the beginning. And so, verse 31, um, Pharaoh, he calls for Moses and Aaron. And that, and that word, remember what, what, what Pharaoh last said to Moses? He said, don't ever come see my face again. Um, and this isn't Moses, uh, Pharaoh changing his mind. The, the Hebrew word uh, behind the words called for often means to informed by messenger or send word by a messenger and so he could have called the pharaoh could have called him back but why why do you think pharaoh uh, didn't want to face moses uh a uh, 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 person to person again why didn't why, why don't you think pharaoh wanted to talk to moses face to face why did he send a messenger in verse 31 why do you think so Well, even more than that. I guess he was grieving too. He was grieving, yeah, yeah. You ever have to? You ever have to like uh, apologize to somebody? Mm-hmm. Um, are there times where you feel like you know it'd be nice if I could just send them a text or an email? Why would you? Send a text or an email instead of apologizing face to face, because there's there's a humiliation there, right? And so this is uh, this is Pharaoh. He's so defeated, he's so humiliated that he can't uh, he can't talk to Moses face to face. And uh, also, when you when you when when there was somebody someone greater than you, you would send a a, a messenger. Remember when the centurion sent a message to Jesus? He says, don't, don't tell Jesus to come. I'm not worthy of his presence. Just tell him my son is sick, and if he says the word, then he'll be healed. And so Pharaoh, by his action in verse 31, is saying that, you know what, Moses, 
and Aaron, they're, they're on a higher level than I am. And one, one word is, is missing um, in verse 31 and verse 32 in this message. And the, the, word, that's the, the word that is conspicuously absent is the first person pronoun I, right? I. Um, I is missing here. He's out of the equation. He's totally defeated. And what, what else don't you see? You see, uh, verse 31, rise up, get out from among my people, both you and the sons of Israel. Israel, Israel is no longer his people. And then he says in the end of verse 31, go, serve Yahweh. That word serve can also be, be, uh, be translated slave. So he says, yes, you're Yahweh's slaves. That, that word he didn't want to say for so, much, for so long, he finally, finally says. Here's another admission of Pharaoh admitting defeat. And then look at, look at the end of verse 31. As you have spoken. He's affirming that God's word is true. That God's word has authority. No longer does Pharaoh have that kind of authority. And then look at verse 32. Take both your flocks and your herds as you have spoken. Go and bless me also. Who blesses who in these type of relationships? Who blesses who? Right. And when was the last time you saw that? Uh, In Egypt. uh, Joseph um, was blessing the the children. And I think also Pharaoh asked for Joseph's blessing too. Yeah, Jacob's blessing. Jacob. Yeah, Jacob. And we remarked when we were in Genesis 47 that look at how, look at the stature of Jacob. That here, that Jacob is blessing uh, Pharaoh, that Pharaoh is admitting the the greater uh, level of of stature in Jacob than himself, and now um, Pharaoh is doing that with Moses and Aaron. Uh, Pharaoh is totally humiliated, totally defeated. Um, he's admitting that he's like, "You're better than me. Would you bless me before you before you leave?" And we learn a, 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 an important lesson about God and his war against evil. And the lesson is this. When God overcomes evil, he totally defeats evil. That is, it is just, it's not even close. This is not like fourth quarter, three seconds left, and God shoots a three-pointer and wins by a point. No. Total blowout. Total blowout. Uh, you cannot beat God. You cannot be God. And so we get to verse 33, and uh, for the longest time, uh, Moses was uh, asking Pharaoh to let his people go, and now uh, it's gotten to the point that the Egyptians, they they are begging Israel to leave. Please. Uh, The Egyptians, verse 33, strongly pressed the people to send them out in haste, so they say, we're going to all be dead if you don't leave. And so the people took up their dough before it was leavened, right? With their kneading bowls bound up in the clothes on their shoulders. And, and they, don't have a ta- they don't have time for the dough to rise. And the sons of Israel had done according to the word of Moses. And they asked uh, from the, the Egyptians, verse 35, for articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing. And Yahweh had given the people favor in the sight 
of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Utter, total, comprehensive defeat of Egypt. Weak Israel. Humiliated Israel uh, scrounging around for straw to make bricks, to fulfill their quotas. Uh, Now they leave as the greatest power of their day. Total defeat over, remember, Egypt's the first world superpower of history. And, And now Israel is plundering this great superpower. They are instantly wealthy. Their pockets, their bags are full of precious gems and metals and, 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 and uh, things that would take them a, a lifetime to accumulate. And now they have in one day. So, um, they plunder the Egyptians. They leave uh, from Ramses. This was the city that they built as slaves. And so... In their imprisonment, they, they build Ramses. And now this is the place that where, where once their prison was, now it becomes the starting point of their journey. And look at verse 37. It looks insignificant, but it's, 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 quite, uh, it's quite telling and, um, and, and significant. The sons of Israel journeyed, journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, aside from the little ones. So what is this telling us? What is verse 37 telling us? If we remember from Genesis. What did God promise Abraham? Oh, yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Be fruitful and multiply. I will multiply your seed as the stars of the sky, as the sands of the seashore. And do you see that promise being fulfilled? Um, And look at verse 38. A foreign multitude also went with them, along with flocks and herds, a very large number of livestock. What is this telling us? How is this what, what part of the promise is verse 38 reminding us of? That in you, what? All the nations of the world will be what? Blessed. Blessed, yeah. And so God is fulfilling his promise to Abraham. And, do you, and, I, and I like, remember, 37 and 38, you remember there's no, I mean, God's word is perfect, right? There's no, these throwaway comments that every verse is, uh, connects to some important part of God's word in other places. There's every, every sentence, every verse uh, has this rich theology if we, if we read scripture carefully and thoughtfully. So, we go to 39, they bake the dough, what they brought up out of Egypt, unleavened bread, they were driven out of Egypt. They could not delay. They didn't have, they didn't have any preparation, but they had the, this unleavened bread. And uh, verse 40, And now the time that the sons of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years, and it happened at the end of the 430 years, the very day that all the host of Yahweh went out from the land of Egypt. They're, they're the host of Yahweh now. Israel had become a great army. 
They were slaves in the beginning. They were humiliated, uh, downtrodden, oppressed slaves when they left. And um, God is fulfilling his promise. Remember, go to, remember Genesis 15? After he makes, uh, he, he cuts these animals in half and he walks through them. He says to Abram in Genesis 15, 13, Abram, know for certain that your seed will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will also judge the nation to whom they are enslaved, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. And God uh, prophesied it. He promised it. He called it. They're going to be enslaved. They're going to leave, and they're going to leave plundering the, their, their host country. So we move from uh, the, the, this exodus, the initial point of this exodus, and we move to some final instructions about the Passover. And uh, verses 43 through 51 um, centers around the participants of the Passover. Who can partake of the Passover? Can anybody just kind of join in and say, hey guys, can I... Can I have some of this unleavened bread? Can I, can I eat some of that lamb that looks pretty good? I, can I have some of those bitter herbs? Um, Moses talks about that in these, these final verses. Now, verses 33, 43 to 45 is a chiasm. So how is that a chiasm? If this is a chiasm, tell me what's the emphasis in verse 43 to 45. Mm-hmm. And the inner part is that you have to be circumcised. Yeah. Um, uh, so, the, so what's being emphasized then? Um, they have to be circumcised. Yeah, for verse 44, yeah. If 43 and 45 is, um, is uh, kind of the outer part, then the the emphasis of the chiasm is in the middle. And so every man's slave uh, purchased with money after you have circumcised him, he may eat of it. So this is a, a redemption, right? Uh, a slave being redeemed with money. Um, and so redemption is, is, part, is part of Israel's identity. This is a, a big deal. Redemption is going to be a big deal in the way uh, they they do Passover, and uh, see this slave is now uh, really a slave to who? It's a slave to Yahweh. He's been uh, kind of purchased from whatever host country he's uh, uh, that he was been bought from. He was a slave of some foreign country, and now he's a slave of the Israelites. And now he's a slave ultimately after circumcision of God. And so again, this is this Passover emphasizes the a, a theology of redemption. This is what Passover is about. It's about redemption. Verse forty six. Um, it shall be a, a whole sacrifice. You shall not break any of the of the lamb or the or the animal. Verse forty seven. This is for God's people. All the congregation of Israel shall shall celebrate this. Sacrifices for God's people alone, the ones he's redeemed. But 
to be a part of God's people, you still can be a foreigner. Verse 48. If there's a sojourner there, a foreigner, and he celebrates, he needs to be circumcised. He needs to have faith in me. The circumcision is a, is a, is a mark of that faith. It's a symbol of that faith. And uh, so the congregation of Israel would include foreigners. But no uncircumcised person may eat of it. Eat of it. There's this exclus- exclusivity here. And verse 29, he ends with, the same law shall apply to the native as to the sojourner who sojourns among you. So the way this ends is what? It's this uh, Passover is highlighting this theme that redemption is not just for Israel, that redemption will also be provided for the entire world. So in that Passover, you see what? What do we find? Redemption for Israel and redemption for the world. This rich theology behind um, uh, the simple sacrifice of a a lamb, the simple eating of this unleavened bread, uh, highlighting sacrifice, atonement, and redemption.